You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. All right, well, you know what today is, right? You know, it's, it's Palm Sunday, and everybody probably knows kind of why that is. Uh, you know, when it, comes to, when it comes to religious holidays, there's generally an expectation to, to speak on whatever that holiday is, and some of us pastors sometimes uh, avoid that because we get tired of talking about the same thing every year on a specific day, we're just following tradition, and, and sometimes it's hard to pull something new out of the same story every time. And uh, so when Dr. Holler asked me to preach about Palm Sunday, that was kind of my first thought, and he knew it would be. He knew it would be. Um, but then as I was starting to prepare for it, I realized I don't think I've ever preached on Palm Sunday, and I hardly remember a sermon on Palm Sunday, to be honest. Uh, so, so it was actually a, a unique experience as I, as I was looking into this a little bit more, and uh, we're going to start today in, in Matthew 21. Every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell this story. Uh, what we call the triumphal entry, or, or you know, we're, when we celebrate Palm Sunday, and uh, so there is, so there's definitely something significant about this event that they all wanted to record it, and they all record uh, a little bit different details as well as a lot of the same. It's a, it's a very, it's one of the things that is goes all the way across not only the synoptics but even John. Uh, so Matthew 21, we're going to read the story here. It says, and when they drew. Nigh, uh, starting in verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he shall send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples, when they, disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sent him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way, and the multitudes that went before and that followed, crying, crying, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are here. You are in every one of us, Jesus. God, we believe that you are the great teacher. We open up our hearts to receive from you today, Holy Spirit. We ask that your word would be alive in us, Jesus. We wouldn't just hear it in one ear and out the other, God, but that, that something would grab us, God, that you would speak to us through it, God, that there would be something relevant for us in this, Jesus, and that we would let your word bring change in our lives, that we would let your word bring growth in our lives, God, that we would grow in the Spirit, that we would grow in our knowledge and revelation of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Palm Sunday is about praise. This, this scene is the scene of joyful, willingful praise. 
It's, it's spontaneous. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like most of his plan. Obviously, Jesus plans. He stops and he says, I'm, I'm going to go in there special. You know, he, he says, go ahead, go get this donkey. But he doesn't like call in the crowds like, hey, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have a little parade. You're in the front. It's like Jessica. Jessica, she's like, Victoria, move up. David, to the left. Theron. Okay, and Jesus is like, Peter, you stand back there. Okay, here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, Hosanna, okay? There's no, there's no planning here. But as Jesus comes in, riding on this donkey, the people gather around spontaneously, willingly, worshiping him, throwing their clothes at his feet, throwing the palm branches at his feet. They're, they're, they're singing his praises because it's like for a moment they see who he really is. Just for a moment, because at the very end they say, who is he? And he's like, oh, it's prophet from Nazareth. You know, for a moment he's the king of kings. For a moment he's their messiah. He's the one who fulfilled all the prophecies, and then he's just the prophet from Nazareth. But for a moment they saw. And, you know, as a worship leader, uh, I've, been, I've been a worship leader in some capacity for like 15, 20 years, mostly for teenagers in youth group. You know, I'm, I'm filling in here for a while. Um, but, I've, but I've been doing it for youth group pretty much since I was a teenager myself. And uh, one of the things we always, you know, want to try to do is create an atmosphere that makes it easy for you to worship, that makes, makes you want to worship, makes you want to, like, maybe you don't even get it, but suddenly you find yourself singing along a little bit, and suddenly you're starting to feel a little bit of, of the feeling, and then suddenly you're, you're experiencing the Spirit of God, not just, not just an emotional feeling. We try to create that atmosphere. But then sometimes we have to take it a little bit further, and we, we have to actually encourage you, like, look out here, and sometimes, you know, you guys are pretty good. So let's say I'm not talking about you. You guys, you guys like to worship with us. But sometimes there's, there's people that just, no matter what happens on stage, I mean, it could be, it could be anybody in the world up there, and they're just, they'll, they'll stand there the whole time. It's half an hour. I mean, you, everybody knows. Yeah, I got to move around, to, otherwise I get tired. But, but they'll just stand there. And so, so you're like, okay, we're going to coach you through this. We're going to clap your hands. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get involved a little bit here, you know. Like, let's go cut, let's get some palm branches. No, um, and with with teenagers, of course, you tell them to clap their hands, and suddenly they're like, like purposely clapping offbeat. And <laughs> you know? Um, I know because I was a teenager once. Um, and uh, but we we try to coach you, and then sometimes we're like, sometimes it comes down to it. I'm like, you gotta demand something. Like, okay. We're not going to keep doing this without any participation. This is not a show. This is, like, get, get with the Spirit right now. Come on, like, let's worship God. But that is, none, of that, none of that happened here. They just saw him, and it came from inside of them, this worship. Nobody asked for it. Nobody demanded it. Nobody hinted at it, like, hey, maybe you know, cut, some, cut down some branches. Nothing like that happened. They just worshiped because, for a moment, they saw who he is. And, you know, they saw him all the time. But he is with us all the time, too. And sometimes we forget to see who he really is. Sometimes we forget that the one that is with us all the time is the King of Kings. So we are gonna, we're going to worship God together here for a second. The Bible says that my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. And if you agree, you can say amen. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? 
My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define him. He's limitless love. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He's internally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? Do you know him? He was the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He is the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. And you know that's not a lie. He is unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the one, only one, qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Do you recognize the king? He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, but yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault with him, and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. I wonder if you know him. That's our king. Oh, i got to give credit for that one. That's not me. That's S.M. Lockridge. That's a preacher named S.M. Lockridge that wrote that. But that's our king. Let's take a second and just recognize who our king is. He is the king of kings, and he is worthy of all of our praise. We praise you, Jesus. Palm Sunday is about, about peace. Fear not, the prophecy said. Fear not, your king is coming riding on a donkey. There's something very significant there. Because the king could have been coming riding on his horse. Scepter at his side. He could have been coming in judgment. Because the people he was coming to had mistreated the prophets that he had sent. They had killed the prophets that he had sent. Because they had broken every law he had made. Because they had lived in rebellion of him. They, he could have been coming on his war horse. He could have been coming back from war. He could have been coming to war. But instead he comes in, their king, riding on a donkey. Almost ridiculous. But they know when they see their king coming on a donkey, he's not coming in judgment of them. He's not coming to drag them off to war. He's not coming to make war on them. He is coming in peace. And he is the king of peace. 
This is the gospel of peace. The Bible calls it the gospel of peace, that God came to make peace with us. That there was a war between God and man. And of course, we know who's going to win that one, right? No question. And yet, the one who was guaranteed the win came and surrender instead. He came and surrendered to us. He came and gave himself over to his enemies, us. While we were yet enemies of Christ, he died for us. He came to make peace between us and God. That God is not angry with you. God is not wrath with you. God is not waiting to judge you. God is not hungry for, for vengeance on you. God's not holding your sin against you. He's not remembering that big list of all the mistakes you've made, especially that bad one. (laughs) Because he dealt with that in Jesus and brought peace between God and man. This is the gospel. And in considering the uh, significance of the donkey, I began looking at the, uh, the first mention of the cult in the Bible. And uh, when, I, when I was doing that, the first one that came up actually was a, was a cult of a camel, so I skipped over that one. And uh, we ended up here at, at Genesis 49. And we're going to take a look here because I think Palm Sunday is also a picture of his future victory. So it's a picture of praise, it's a picture of peace, and it's a picture of his future victory. Genesis 49, verse 1. Uh, this, is, this is Jacob, or Israel who had 12 sons, represent the 12 tribes, represented again by 12 disciples, and, and throughout the Bible, this, this number. Um, and, and as Jacob is about to die here at the, at the end of, near the end of Genesis here, uh, he calls his son together, sons together for what may seem like a blessing, and at times may seem nothing of the sort. But he says this, it says, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, is that, is that phrase significant, last days? Yeah. That phrase is very significant. He's not just talking about his son's last days. This is, he's signaling that this is something prophetic. When we see that in Scripture, it means it's something prophetic, that what's about to come here has meaning that lasts beyond his son's. Gather yourselves together, verse 2, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel, your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, my beginning of excellence, my, my beginning of strength, excellence of dignity, and excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, and then defilest it thou it, and he went up to my couch. Now, listen, let me let me make a little bit of sense for this for you. Um, someone, I saw someone share uh, an interesting meme on Facebook the other day. Uh, not really a meme. It was really like a whole series of things. How, it, it, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I'm really not. I'm really, really not. But, but I do find myself listening to those things every now and then because I find them interesting. Uh, Whitney and I were watching like a, a flat earth documentary the other night. And like, it was, it was too much. We couldn't finish it. But, um, but there's, this, there's this new conspiracy theory going around that somebody shared. And uh, 
in, in the, I think it was in the 1800s, right? Yeah, right towards the eight, end of the 1800s, there was this author who wrote this book. Let me see if, because I didn't write down any notes on this, but I want to see if I can remember it. It was uh, Trump. It was, it, it, uh, Baron Trump. Baron Trump and his marvelous adventures underground. Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can probably already see slightly where I'm going with this, right? By the way, Trump's son is named Baron. Um, Baron Trump and his adventures under, marvelous adventures underground. And then the same author later wrote a book called The Last President, where the last president also, you know, nominated a person named Pence. And, um, and, and like, I'm looking at all these things, and they have all these little ties where, you know, like, the book takes place in Russia, and, you know, and, and uh, they're, on, they're on Fifth Avenue. After the last president gets elected, uh, there's, there's riots on Fifth Avenue in New York, which just so happens to be where Trump Tower is located and where the Women's March happened to be. And they have all these things. And then, like, Trump's great-grandfather then uh, was working for the FBI for this particular department that, that took all Tesla's inventions towards the end to investigate them. And supposedly, you know, the, the, there was theory that he might have a time machine, but Trump's granddad said, oh, there was nothing. And so there's this whole, like, they're, they're putting together all these little pieces here and there, like, like, okay, there's Baron Trump here, there's the last president here, here's a time machine, and, like, we can get all this, and, yeah, there's some kind of, like, something's happening here. The Trumps have been traveling through time, building up uh, money and power over the years. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even tell where they were going with it, but it was it was it was crazy how many like coincidences like they had all these names that lined up and just and like and you have to look it up afterward and you're like okay well I mean like the books exist like these things the quotes are real like but there's no significance to any of it it is it's most you know it's coincidence um, and you can if you look hard enough you can tie things together really well you can find significance in a lot of things if you look hard enough and I want to tell you that's not what we're doing here in the Old Testament because the Old Testament First of all, much of it literally claims to be prophecy. So this, this fictional kids novel, Baron Von Trump, you know, Adventures Underground, uh, does not claim to be prophecy, it claimed to be a kid's book. Okay, and that's what it was. Um, but when, when the Bible says these are things that will happen in the last days, we know that there is significance to it. Now, if you come to me and look, you know, show me some scriptures in the Old Testament that say this will happen in the last days, and you start lining up events with President Trump, um, then I have reason to question you, right? I have, I have reason to, to, like, to, to do my own research and make sure, and you can do your own research on anything I say, by the way, um, but, but I have reason to question it. But when we see something in the Old Testament that lines up and confirms what already happened in the New Testament, that we already, something we already know is true. We're not trying to grab something out of it that we don't already have theologically. I'm not trying to tell you, now you can marry any, uh, you know, 12 women and have, you know, you'll have a million wives in heaven. I'm not trying to tell you something that theologically doesn't fit in what we already have. But if we see something that's already in the Bible, already in the New Testament, and we see confirmation of it in scripture and prophecy, okay, then, then we can trust that. We can, we can take value from it. In fact, you can even take value from it if I'm possibly, you know, grasping at straws here. Um, but I think there's a lot of significance here, and I'm going to draw out a few things. So Reuben, Reuben, verse 3 said, Reuben, thou art my firstborn. And these first couple we're just going to grab a little bit from, because you'll notice, and you'll notice Paul do this too in the New Testament. When he quotes the Old Testament, he doesn't quote large sections. In fact, if he quoted the large section, it would not fit with his theology at all, but he quotes the little part of grace. He quotes a little part of faith, 
and he takes away the judgment because the judgment's been dealt with in Jesus. He takes away the wrath because the wrath's been dealt with in Jesus, and he takes the faith and the grace of the Old Testament. Takes the good parts. So when it says you're unstable as water, you're not going to excel, went into your father's bed, all this stuff, I'm not looking at that right now. But what I am looking at is Reuben is the firstborn. And what is Jesus? The firstborn. Firstborn of all creation. And he's the firstborn among, firstborn among the dead. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn among many brethren. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi, the next two sons, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Firstborn among many brethren. Instruments of cruelty are their inhabitation. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. I'm not grabbing anything from that. But verse 7 has something very significant. Because it, you know all of their, all of their bad traits there, or the traits of their children to come that he's talking about here, uh, there's a response to that. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Remember I said it's the gospel of peace, right? right. He didn't curse Reuben, or I'm sorry, he didn't curse Simeon and Levi. He cursed anger. Yes. He cursed wrath. Yes. He cursed cruelty. Yes. You know, the Bible says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus became a curse for you, and in his flesh, he took on the wrath of God. He took on the anger of God. He took that. He cursed anger and wrath for you. You get the blessing. He is the firstborn of many brethren. And then verse 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thy enemies, for thy father's children shall bow down before thee. He's the firstborn of many brethren, but he is significant among his brethren. See, you know, Jesus is God become man. He became man and dwelt among us. But a lot of people try to take the theology a little bit further and say that, you know, Jesus was just saying, like, we're all God. We're just all, we're all, you know, we all have the divine in us, and therefore we're all equal. Jesus is just one of us. Jesus was no different than Jonathan over here. Jonathan's God, too. He just got to, he just got to realize it. Just realize that you are actually God. You are not, okay? You are not God. Yet you do have the divine in you. That's true, because God breathed his spirit into you. And, and when you believed, you became a new creation. You became a living spirit. So, you, so Jesus was the firstborn of the new creation. You are his brethren, but he is unique as the, as the only begotten son of the Father. And he, in that way, is deserving of our praise. I'm not deserving of your praise. Dr. Holler's not deserving of your praise. Dylan's not deserving of your praise. Michael, Elaine, Christina, we're not, we're not deserving of your praise. Don't worship us. That would be stupid, okay? Jesus is worthy of the praise because he is God. Because he is God. Because he is the one who brought us to life. The reason we have div divinity in us through him, the reason we have his spirit in us is because of Jesus, not because of anything we've done. So he is worthy of praise. Oh, let's see. We're going to keep going here. As brethren. So this, so we're going to just cover this for a second here. Firstborn, many brethren, significant among them. As brethren, you are heirs with Christ. You are heirs with Christ. How many of you guys have heard about the man who traded a paperclip for a house? Have you guys heard about it? No? Okay. True story. One man started with a little paperclip and started bartering. And within a year, he traded up to a house. 
He got a house for his paperclip. Now, what I didn't notice about this, as ridiculous as that is just by itself, as ridiculous as that is by itself, what I didn't notice about it was it only took him 14 trades. There is no, there is no path from a paperclip to a house in 14 trades. I'm sorry, there's not. Like the first, the first I'm, I'm not going to remember them all, but the first trade was like he traded for a fish pin. Okay. Then he trades the fish pin for like this unique homemade doorknob. Then he's like trading the doorknob for, for a keg of beer or something. <laughs> so, and, it starts, and it starts getting really progressively, you know, moving up quick till somebody trades him a house finally. In 14, 14 trades, this guy has a new house just from a paperclip and I think a little bit of gas money as he, you know, traveled to make these trades. But, but you can't get people to trade like that normally. I watched some other people try it and, and uh, they, they ended up getting from a paperclip to a, a free Hollywood tour. They lived in Hollywood. They got to ride the bus for free. Um, yeah. They're, I mean, that's, that's, it's not normal because, because the real fact is that you value your stuff uh, unfairly, even the unvaluable stuff. That's, that's why we're always overpricing things at our own garage sales, right? That's why you should just bring your stuff up to the church, let us price it for you. We'll sell it. But, but when it's yours, it has like some value to you, some extra value to you because it's yours. So you don't want to give it up. You don't want to give anything up. He's like, no, let's, let's keep that in storage. That'll come in handy later. Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Ah, that was my mom's. Let's keep it. Okay. Um, so nobody wants to trade. Nobody wants to, to give you something better than what you're giving them. You know? no, um, but Jesus did the greatest trade down in the universe, the king of the universe becoming a man. He took on your form in flesh so that you could take on his form in the spirit. Jesus claimed your weakness so you could claim his strength. He claimed your temptation so you could claim his victory. He claimed your pain so you could claim his healing. This is the great exchange, him for you. If you think he's worthy of praise among his brethren, let's praise him. Let's take that trade. Let's take that trade. If you, if you have not received Jesus, take the trade. Listen, you're giving up nothing. He's giving up everything, and you're getting everything, okay? And all he gets in return is you. So, <laughs> take the trade. Let's go to verse 8. So we've gone through the first four sons. So we had, we had uh, the firstborn among many brethren and significant among them. Verse 8, Judah. Actually, we're still talking about Judah here a little bit. I'm sorry. Lose myself in my own notes because there's, there's so much significant here with Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Right? We covered that. Thy, thy hand shall be around their neck of thine enemies. Thy, ch- thy father's children shall bow down before thee. We start seeing Palm Sunday right here in this picture of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah rides in to Jerusalem with them worshiping. Verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. That's a name for the Messiah. That's a reference to Jesus here. Until Shiloh shall come, and unto him the gathering of the people shall be. So there would be, there would, there will always be a lawgiver among you, Israel, among the people of Israel, until Shiloh come, until Jesus comes, until he fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to do away with law, I came to fulfill it. That's right, he didn't 
do away with it. He didn't, he didn't get rid of it. He fulfilled it. It was done. It was complete. He fulfilled the covenant that we couldn't fulfill. Binding his foal unto the vine. Now we're talking about the foal. And his ass's colt unto the choice vine. And Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. So here we see Israel binding the colt to Jesus. Binding the foal under the vine and his ass's colt under the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. So the lion of the tribe of Judah rides into Jerusalem, the, the colt tied to the vine of Jesus. As the people gather to worship him, just like it said at the very beginning of this verse 8, laying their robes and branches at his feet, not long before he would wash his own robe in blood, so you would have robes whiter than snow. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's our Savior. Isn't that awesome? That it's about all the way back here in Genesis. They're, they're already talking about all this, right? Just, just in Judah right here. Verse, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea and shall be for a haven for ships and his border shall be unto, unto Zidon. Nations, that's what I see here. And he's, a board, he's bordering the sea, ships coming into his haven, people coming. When I, when I read this, what I thought of was Solomon, King Solomon, and kings from all over the world coming, sending people to come hear his wisdom. Well, Jesus is wisdom embodied. Jesus is wisdom embodied. There's nobody, there's nobody probably quoted more than Jesus. There's nobody, for sure, that more books are written about than Jesus. There's probably nobody that more atheist books are written about than Jesus, okay? Um, you know, he is, he is the central figure in all of history. And the world came to see him from his childhood. The kings came to see, see him, but they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? The nations came to him. Verse 14, Isaacar, is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. We see the donkey here again. And he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. He saw that rest was good, so he bowed his shoulder unto the burden. Rest is good, but he didn't take on the rest, he took on the burden, so that we would get rest. That's right. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's given us his burden and he's carrying ours. He bowed his back under the burden. And we see that very clearly as he's car literally carrying his cross up the hill. Uh, Dan, verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backward. And uh, we actually see a very clear picture of this in Genesis 3. When, when God curses the serpent who tempted Eve, right? And, and he says that you will, that the, the, he will bite the heel of, of Eve's seed of Jesus. It's talking about Jesus here. You will bite his heel and he will crush your head. You will, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. So here's the serpent biting the heel. Now it says he's biting the heel of the horse. Uh, but just a second ago, we saw Jesus twice as, as the donkey. We saw him as the donkey couched under the burden. We saw him as the donkey, uh, you know, the vine uh, bound to him. And now the snake bites his heel, it says. And this is, this is coming right on 
the heels, literally, of, of this, this wonderful triumphal entry. Everybody's worshiping Jesus, and suddenly they're all wanting to crucify him. Suddenly, one of his closest 12 is betraying him. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord, verse 18. Gad, a troop, shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Do I even have to explain that one? A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. You know, there's this, there's this old joke. Pretty much all I know is old jokes. Uh, but there's this old joke about uh, Jesus and Satan getting a, getting a computer programming contest. Yeah, it fits me. So they get in a computer programming contest. He, like, the devil's like, I'm, you know, you may, be, you may be righteous and all that, but I'm a better computer programmer, you know. Um, so they get, they're up in heaven and, and programming away. You know, Jesus is just steady at it, and, and the devil is just, he's copying codes from online. He's stealing from this source, stealing from this source, pasting them in there, and his, his is just growing prolifically. He's like, Jesus doesn't stand a chance. And then all of a sudden, power flickers off, comes back on, Devil's like, Where, uh, where's my stuff? And, and then Jesus is just over there typing away, typing away. And he's like, what happened? What happened? This isn't fair. How come he's still, where, why didn't he lose his stuff? And they're like, Jesus saves. <laughs> in the cross, in the cross. The devil thought he had a victory on Jesus. He thought he had overcome him. Because Jesus died. Usually that's the end. When you kill somebody, usually you're done fighting them. You're done dealing with them. He died. A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. That was not the end of the story, was it? See, the, see the, the Palm Sunday event, we call it the triumphal entry, but it's really it's a picture of the triumphal entry. Because the real tri triumphal entry is as he comes out of the grave, as he goes into heaven, as he carries his blood to the mercy seat, as he you know, experiences aspect do am I, uh, put, you know, putting the devil to shame. See, his, his, his momentary defeat, which was, by the way, a surrender once again, as he's riding in on a donkey, basically delivering himself up to death here, his momentary defeat would turn into the greatest victory of all time. Verse 20, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. His body is the bread which was broken for us. And this fat, this increase that we see here, his bread shall be fat, this increase... What did Jesus do as he fed the, fed the 5,000? He broke his body. He, bro he broke, I'm sorry, he broke, he didn't break his body. He broke bread. <laughs> symbolic, symbolic of his body, but it's not, he wasn't breaking his body. He broke bread, and as he did it, there was more and more and more. Have you ever showed up for, for dinner somewhere, and it's like, you see what's there, and you're like, oh, I really should have eaten before I came. Like, now I'm going to have to, like, pretend I'm full so everybody else can eat, you know? That, like, like, they're there, and there's 5,000 people, there's, you know, a little bit of bread and a couple fish. And... But Jesus, for Jesus, is more than enough. His body is more than enough. His blood is more than enough for all of us, for all of you, for all of your friends, for all of your family, for this world. It is more than enough. It will never run out. His bread shall, be, shall yield royal dainties. Uh, 21. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. 
So after he died and rose again, giving us the bread of life, then he poured out his spirit. And what was the first sign when they spoke when they when they received the spirit? They spoke in other tongues. Good words. He giveth goodly words. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. There will be visions, dreams, and here they are now speaking in other tongues. Verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Thank you, Jesus, that your branches came over the wall and tore down the middle wall of separation. The Bible says he tore down the middle wall of separation. That's between the Israelites and the Gentiles. There was always a wall there. There was, there was, the, the Israelites had a certain type of evangelism. They wanted the world to know how good God was by what they experienced. They wanted people to glorify God and be like, the God of Israel is good. But, they, but it wasn't for them. There was, no, there was no good news outside those walls. But Jesus tore down the middle wall of separation when he sent Peter to Cornelius when he called Paul and sent him to the Gentiles. And then suddenly the gospel, the good news that Christ died for your sins, according to the scripture, he was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. Suddenly that was for all mankind, that there was no difference who you are or where you were from. Jesus is for you. He crossed the wall. Verse 23, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. There's more there. Even by the God of thy father who shall help thee and by the almighty who shall bless thee with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors. Under the utmost bound of the everlasting hill shall they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Benjamin, the twelfth son. Verse 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoils. So he took captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Some apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists. He gave gifts to men. So let me just kind of read through these here real quick, see if you can catch each one of the sons in this. The firstborn of many brethren was unique among his brothers and deserving of worship. Drawing all nations to himself, he carried their burdens to give them rest. The serpent may have bruised his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent. Great would be the increase of the bread, his body broken for us, as he poured out his spirit, and they prophesied and spoke in other tongues. Then the vine from the well of life grew over the wall, tearing down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. He took captivity itself captive, dividing the spoils. He gave gifts to men. And listen, he's got a lot of gifts for you. So I mentioned the gifts of the fivefold ministry, which is what it mentions in that passage where it says he took captivity captive and gave gifts to men. There's also the gifts of the Spirit, right? Those are available to you today. Those gifts just weren't just for them then. Those gifts are for all time. For as long as, as, long as we are on this earth, until, until we go to heaven and don't need prophecy anymore, we, we, he, those gifts are for you. And you have access to those in the Spirit. You also have the gifts of life 
joy, peace, and the Holy Spirit are yours today. This is part of your, of your heritage as brethren of Christ. Whatever was his, whatever he took is yours. Whatever he took back when he conquered the devil, whatever, whatever the devil has taken from you, listen, he took back. Whatever, whatever the enemy has taken from you in your life, you have a right to it. Jesus took it back for you, and he has gifts for you. Restoration is yours today, in Jesus' name. So, Palm Sunday is a day of praise. It's a, it's a story of peace, and it's a picture of, of what was about to happen. Because once again, the triumph, the triumph was still to come. Next week, we're really going to celebrate the triumph. Next week, we're going to celebrate the triumph of his resurrection. But every day, we get to experience the fruits of that triumph. The gospel really is this simple, that if you believe in Jesus, then you have already passed over from death to life. There's not, there's not a list of thou shalt nots and thou shalts that can save you. There's not a list of, of things you can do to make things right with God or to make sure you go to heaven. At least, let's put it this way, not a list we can fulfill. It's hopeless. Yeah. I mean, Paul says, Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that, you know, if, if, you, if you do good and seek, seek righteousness all your life, then, of course, God will reward you, you know, with eternal life. But the fact is that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's, there's no difference. We, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's one way that works. And that's believing. That's faith in Jesus. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes today, if there is anybody in this room that you have not put your faith in Jesus, you have not chosen to accept what he's done for you. That's really all it is. Accept that you're not good enough. Okay, it's over with. I'm not good enough either. We're all in the same boat there. But he is good enough. He is good enough. This simple act of praise, uh, just faith in him, that is an act of praise. And that makes you something new. Because when you reach up with faith, God reaches down with grace. And that's where we receive salvation. That contact of grace and faith. So if, that, if that's you and you've never put your faith in Jesus today, I just want you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. We always want to give you that opportunity when you're here. Praise God. We're all saved today. Amen. All right. We're going to Go out with a shout. Sure. Do we have do we have those up on the board today? Awesome. All right, let's say this together. Thank you, Father, for blessing your people and they're going out just like you blessed them and they're coming in. Thank you, Father, that you've caused us to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, first, not last the victor, no longer the victim. Thank you, precious Father. You've caused the mountains and the hills to break forth with singing and the trees of the field to clap their hands as your people go forth, armed and dangerous with the word of God. Amen. Amen.